We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation that finally breaks the chains. We were made to be title of the sermon today is From Death to Life. We're in a series that we're calling Courage, and we're looking at the life of Elijah. You talk about a courageous dude. This guy uh, had no problem standing up for God and um, did it on a regular basis. And we're going to look at what God did, an amazing miracle, because Elijah would believe him for it and had the courage to ask him about it. It's hard for us to believe in miracles for some reason, Uh, probably because it's beyond our ability to bring about, and we we like to live within our own control, and we can't see beyond that sometimes. Anybody remember a fellow named Steve Glavin that used to go to church here? Yeah, a few of you. Uh, Once a choir director, a pastor, a development director, he was a little bit of everything. He's in California now, but I remembered a story about life and death. That Steve told once. You're already laughing because you know it's not serious if Steve told it, right? He is a character. So I Facebooked him and said, Steve, I need that uh, story. Help me. And Steve wrote this for us this morning for our sermon. It's the story of Timothy the turtle. Steve says, when I was about 12 years old, we had one of those small green dime store turtles, as they were commonly called, that tended to live for a few months in a molded plastic mini aquarium and then die. Timothy Turtle had lasted the requisite amount of time, and then one day my mom found him dead on the little island in his aquarium. She threw him in the garbage, and that weekend I noticed that he had apparently fallen out of the garbage can when the trash collectors came and was lying on the patio. I picked him up, stuck him in my pocket, and went on my way about my day. Later, when I went inside, I remembered that Timothy was still in my pocket, I took him to my room, and being the curious child that I was, I had a microscope, a chemistry set in my room, a telescope to look at the stars. Yes, I was a nerd. I wanted to see what made that little turtle tick, so I took a scalpel from my chemistry set, cut the turtle's breastplate open, exposing his internal, internal rather, organs. I located the heart and decided I would try an experiment. I took a 12-volt lantern battery hooked two wires up to the leads, and I touched the wires to the turtle's heart a few times. And the heart started beating. Soon the turtle was moving slightly. So I taped him together, (laughs) put him back in the aquarium, and needless to say, my family was a bit surprised by this development. But I just thought it was great that Timothy the turtle was still around. He lived for several more weeks before once again expiring. This time, my mother took no chances and flushed him before I could get a chance to repeat my experiment. I just find it interesting that we believe that, don't we? Because, you know, even a 12-year-old could bring life to a turtle, but sometimes we don't really believe that God can bring life, who's way beyond our abilities. Today, we're going to take a close look and see that he brings life. Let's pray. Father, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and touch our hearts. Lord, there's so many needs represented here. 
I, I'm grateful, Lord, for the smiles and the wonderful uh, feeling that we have in this place. We know your presence is here, but I also know, Lord, that you have a, a heart and a desire to touch the wounds in people's lives today, to bring life, Lord, to a place that looks dark and dreary. I just pray that your Holy Spirit will touch each one of us and touch the circumstances in our lives because we desperately need you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So now Elijah's been on the run. You remember that? He hid out at the brook Cherith for a year. He goes to a widow's house when God speaks to him. And and, and last week we talked about the cruise of oil that just replenished itself because she fed the prophet. And that was a miracle. And then we come to crises in in, in not only the life of the widow, but for Elijah, right? He's he's the prophet, the, the blessed one who walks into the place and tragedy strikes. And my first thought for all believers today is this, crisis will happen in our lives. Even when you're really godly, crisis will happen in your life. 1 Kings 17, 17, sometime later, the woman's son became sick. Remember, she was a single mother and a widow. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. She had catastrophe strike. We all have trouble and crises that will strike us in our lives. As a matter of fact, when it comes to death, the Bible says it's appointed for man once to die, and then comes judgment. We were all made in this life to live for only an amount of time that only the Lord knows. But we die in this life, and crises comes. Not only that way, but many other ways. Hardship, difficulty. Matthew 7, 24. Have you ever looked at this verse uh, the way I want to pointed out here everyone who hears my words and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on the rock now I want you to notice here's a wise man who built his house on the rock but look what happened to the wise man who did the right thing it rained hard the floods came and the winds blew you ever noticed that before that even when you do it right hard times come for believers now I say this you you think it's obvious but there's a certain strain of Christianity that that likes to speak and talk and preach like if you do everything just right and you line up your behavior just right with the Lord and you have faith and you believe no trials will happen. It's not true. That's not true. The rains come, the floods come and the winds blow and hit the house, but here's what it said it did not fall because it was built on the rock. I want you to take a look at this video and see that we've had a bunch of people in our nation just this week have a storm in their lives. Let's take a look for just a minute here. The Garden State woke up to a devastated landscape. Entire communities swamped, houses ripped from their foundations. The beach erosion caused by the relentless surf so profound, it rearranged the Jersey Shore. Its famed boardwalks torn apart. This is the amusement park at Seaside Heights, before and after the storm. Governor Chris Christie, who toured his battered state by air, described what's happened as unthinkable. The devastation that's happened to New Jersey is beyond what's happened to anyone else, at least from the reports that I've seen so far, and that should come as no shock since the storm made landfall here. I hope you're praying for those people. Um, It's easy to forget, you know, when, when it hasn't been us that's in the storm. And that's the way we want to be for each other too when someone's in a storm is to pray for them. But I promise you there's a bunch of righteous people in New Jersey. A bunch of really godly people who lost their houses. Now I do believe that it's true that if you live for Jesus, you get a covering. 
and you're more blessed because you live for him. And, and, and you can find that in the scriptures. And I believe that there's blessing that comes to you because you live for him. But to, to extrapolate that all the way to we won't have problems if we live just right is just ridiculous. Let's look at some godly people in the Bible who had some trouble. Noah was a crazy man, they thought, for building an ark in the middle of nowhere where there's no water. They probably thought that he had psychological problems. Moses ran from his home and had to start in a new place. He had Pharaoh out to kill him on a regular basis. He had the people turning against him constantly as he was leading. Joseph, rejected by his family, sold into slavery. A righteous dude who didn't do anything wrong to them. He was falsely accused of rape and thrown in prison for it. David, a righteous man who hid out in caves. Oh, and then we see the worst and and maybe the lowest point of his life when he lost his infant son. Esther, beautiful, wins the beauty pageant, marries the king, but has the burden of a whole nation on her shoulders. She has to risk her life to save them. Elijah, this man we talk about today in the Bible, in constant danger as the king and the queen are searching to kill him. Hiding out, just eating bread and all, every week. Having the ravens bring him some uh, food, you know, at the brook Cherith. It's not really a prosperous kind of feel to it, that life, right? But he was right smack dab in the middle of God's will. Paul was beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, and imprisoned. He gave us two-thirds of the New Testament. That's how much God thought of him that the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote as that man put pen to paper, and yet he had that much trouble. The 12 apostles, godly men who were martyred for Christ. Jesus, the ultimate The ultimate warrior, our savior, never did any wrong in his life. Not one sin in his life. All he did was love people, but there were those in his family who did not believe in him. The Bible tells us that. Others mocked him. Eventually, he was beaten, spit upon. And people filled with hate eventually killed him. But we know, don't we? that they didn't take his life because he came to lay it down. So here we have all these examples of really godly people, God himself come to earth, who had trouble in this life. You can't go through life navigating it with the thought that God doesn't like me or care for me because I have trouble. Everybody has trouble in this life. This is not heaven. So what is the important thing to do? The important thing to do is when we have trouble... It's, it's, it's to remember, how should I navigate this? Because God gives us some good direction for these times of trouble, and he says he'll be there for us. Talking about Jesus laying down his life, you know, Jesus is the one that shows us that God can destroy even death and bring life. Whatever the hard place in your life, whatever looks like it's gone, it's dead, and you know it's wrong, it doesn't feel right, What I want you to know is you serve a God who can bring life. In Isaiah 53, it says this, but he was pierced. It's talking of Jesus. It's a prophecy. He was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Through Jesus, we see that death can be destroyed. That light can come to the dark place. He brought us life. And if you don't know Jesus today, I want to tell you that the answer to the trouble is always Jesus. Give your life to him. Turn to him. Put it in his hands. He said, cast your cares upon me because I care about you. And when you cast your cares on him, you're giving your cares to God and God is the miracle worker. It's not true that we'll have no crisis if we follow God. But it is true that God will help us in our crises. John 16, 33, I've told you this, all this, so that you may have peace in me. And look what Jesus says. Here on this earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. Those are the words of Jesus. But then he says this, and this is, this is the message for us today. This is the theme, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Jesus is the answer. I'm gonna pontificate the obvious in this next point here. When we're in trouble, we should pray. Since he's the one who holds all the keys to life, the grave, death, power over all those things, since he's the one that can take it beyond natural ability to the supernatural, we turn to God through his son, Jesus Christ. It may seem obvious that we should pray, but it's not always a human's first response that's a Christian is to pray. Often we would rather worry 10 times as much as pray. And worry can't add even a little bit to our lives. It can't help the circumstances even a little bit. So we need to turn our worries into prayers. Worry can't do anything for us, but when we cast our cares upon the Lord, he starts to move. So let's see what the man of God does in 1 Kings, Elijah. The widow's exasperated and devastated, and then she said to Elijah, O man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and to kill my son? But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms and carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. I want to I stop and talk because you, as a pastor, you just have to be concerned about people really thinking right and not being led even by preachers to, to a wrong thought. There are those who say, if you command God, he's got to do it. You know, He's got to heal if you command him. Well, that wouldn't even allow for the sovereignty of his will and circumstances and the understanding that life is limited and, and, and really truly trust in him. I want you to notice the word please in there. He didn't say, I command you. He said to God, please. And God's so loving, so powerful, and so compassionate, he hears us when we say please, Lord. This lady blames God right? That's probably not uncommon when it comes to our lives at times when we have hardship. Why, why did you let this happen? And then she blames his servant. That's common in our culture too. 
probably the two greatest, the, the jokes are about, let's see, lawyers, preachers, and politicians. Those are the ones that are put down the most. So preachers get blamed a lot for stuff. We do it, don't we? It's not a good idea to blame God. What should our response be when we have trouble? Well, we need to be careful not to blame God because he always does good. He doesn't do evil. I just think it's cool that in this passage we, we can see that God cares for this woman and does a miracle for, for her even though she's blaming him. Isn't he awesome? I mean, right? Don't you care about your little children when they're not thinking right? You, 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 you still want to bring them back and you still want to do good things for them even though they, they get exasperated at times. And God does this amazing miracle even when she blames him. What do you think of God? Do you see him as a, as a father in heaven who's looking to mete out punishment if you do the wrong thing and just kind of hammer you? Or you do, do you see him as a loving father who wants to meet your needs, who cares about you, who wants to walk with you, who wants to help you through all your hardship? Have you heard of Elizabeth Barrett Browning? You probably have, a great author, poet, When Robert Browning came into her life, Elizabeth Barrett was a 39-year-old invalid, the daughter of a jealous and dominating father. Her first four books of poetry had been published when she was just 12 years old. At 15, she injured her spine and the resulting confinement in London affected her lungs and she came to be regarded as a permanent invalid. Doomed to spend the rest of her life in bed, 15 years old. But she still kept writing. As time passed, the grief caused, the, uh, the grief caused by the drowning of a brother and her father's refusal to allow any of his children to marry made her a recluse. She stayed indoors. Nearing 40, she seemed destined for a life of helplessness and gloom. But the publication of one of her books brought about a correspondence with another poet, a man named Robert Browning. He visited her, and then they wrote often to each other. He was encouraging to her, trying to get her out of bed and get her to make every effort to resume a normal life. But this met with strong resistance from her parents, and they resented Robert for even suggesting it. They refused to allow him to visit her again, but the correspondence continued, and soon... Robert and Elizabeth were in love. Finally, more than a year later, she escaped the possessive vigilance of her father and they were secretly married. They immediately moved to Italy. And in that sunny climate, it, was, it wasn't long until she was strong and active once again. And amazingly, her parents disowned her. She wrote them almost every week, telling them that she loved them and longed for reconciliation. But after 10 years of writing them, she received a huge box in the email that contained all the letters she'd ever sent to her parents, and none of them had been opened. They sent them back to her. And although those love letters have now become a precious part of English literature, because they're so tender and so beautiful, it's sad to know that they were never read by her parents. Had they looked at just one and seen the heart that she had, Their broken relationship with their daughter could have been healed, but 
They wouldn't do it. They didn't do it. I read that and I thought, sometimes I think we see God as mean when he doesn't give us what we want, like that father. And, and then I thought about how God has given us a love letter that tells us how he really is and what he really wants, but we, we make him out to be something he's not sometimes. She had the good heart in this one. It's reversed. And the, the, the father in this story wasn't a reflection of the true father. She was in this story, trying to bring reconciliation. But he was mad and would have none of it because he didn't get his way. We do that sometimes. You don't get your way and you get mad. And then it's God's fault. Well, listen, we got we to be careful about that. He's just good. The Bible says to take, thought every, take every thought captive that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. And if there's a thought that says, God, why did you do this? We need to take that captive. And say, God, you are good. You are loving. You are the way through this. I'm going to trust you. Have you believed that he's against you when in reality he loves you very much? In reality he wants to bless you? Listen to these scriptures and hear the heart of God. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Isaiah 63, 7, I will tell of the kindnesses of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised, according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for the house of Israel. And listen to this, according to his compassion and many kindnesses. He's compassionate. He is loving. And we need to remember that and cry out to him for help. Because not only is he compassionate and loving and have a heart towards you, he has power. Look at the third point today. He has the power to give life. To breathe life into your circumstances. 1 Kings 17.22 says this, after Elijah had taken that boy upstairs, laid over him and prayed, the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And the life of the child returned and he revived. I just believe today that there's some things in your life that God wants to revive. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Oh, happy day, to say the least. Look, he said, your son is alive. Now that is an amazing miracle. It took incredible faith for Elijah to pray that prayer. And and let me just give you one reason you might not have known. That is the first recorded instance of a resurrection in the Bible, of a dead person coming to life. As far as we know, there was nothing recorded before that where the people of God would pray and someone was raised from the dead. Now, it'd be easier for us to pray because we have that example. We saw Jesus raise people from the dead. and We've seen God heal in circumstances. So Elijah hadn't, he, he hadn't seen anybody revive from the dead. It had never happened before and he prayed and God did this amazing miracles. Will God do miracles for you and I? Does he still do miracles today? Here's what he said, Jesus said in John 14, 12, and nobody did more miracles than Jesus. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. He still does miracles. He left the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts to even increase our faith to believe God for miracles in our lives. In Mark 
16, verses 17 and 18, it says this, and these signs will accompany those who believe. And then it goes on to say, they will place their hands on the sick people and they will get well. Even physical healing takes place. You say, do you really believe that, Pastor? I totally, really believe that. I totally do. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says this, and in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then workers of miracles, also those who have gifts of healing. Hmm. This is the New Testament. God's saying, I still work. I still do miracles. And if you've come to a tough place in your life, I want to encourage you to cry out to him, to pray to him, to lay it in his hands, to trust him, to believe in him. Pastor Ken has a relative that had a severe trial just recently, Pastor Ken Snyder, who led worship this morning. And I was talking to Ken about it this week, and he helped me construct this story. It happened in September of 2012, just just a few months ago. Three men from Washington, including Pastor Ken's relative by marriage, were fishing near Willapaw Bay when a wave hit their 24-foot boat and it collapsed, capsized. No one noticed them and they ended up being stranded all night long. One of the men's wives called the sheriff and deputies searched the marina and found the empty car at about 9 p.m. that night. They notified the Coast Guard and they sent out a rescue boat, but they didn't do it till the next morning at daylight. They sent a helicopter and a rescue boat out. So they were out there all night long. During the night, the three men clung to the boat as they were rocked by the waves. It was all they could do to hang on. And one of the men, Robert Garrity, a man in his 70s, finally succumbed to exhaustion and exposure. And Pastor Ken's relative and and that man's grandson, Robert Garrity's grandson, Charlie, who's 26, they watched as Robert drifted away and they had no strength in their bodies to, to help. All through the night, Shad, and that's Ken's relative, prayed, oh God, please help me. I can't do this by myself. Save me. I need to be there for my family. He thought about how he'd not lived his life completely sold out for God and he asked God to give him one more chance and told God if you do I will live all out for you and somehow eventually they found their way to a sandbar where the coast guard rescued them at 7.15 the next morning I don't understand why some die and some live I guess we just have to trust the word when the Bible says it's appointed for man appointed is the root of appointment. We all have an appointment someday. But I do know it's true that when you cry out to God, He hears you and it releases His power to help in the circumstances. Whatever your storm is today, listen to this this passage in Psalm 69, verse 15. Here's where a man cries out, don't let the floods overwhelm me or the deep water swallow me. Or the pit of death devour me. Answer my prayers, O Lord, for your unfailing love. Do you see the prayer? Do you see the belief in this unfailing love of God? Is wonderful. Take care of me, for your mercy is so plentiful. 
He has power to help. He has compassion, mercy, and unfailing love that is wonderful. And he rescues. As we think of these things, let's, let's think beyond just life and death for just a moment in that physical reality. What about a marriage? Did you know God can give you, if your marriage is messed up and almost over, God can give you a, a new marriage with the same person. He can completely heal. Maybe you have a child that's turned away from God and you did everything you could to raise them up in the way they should go. And yet with their decisions, they've gone far, far away from God and maybe far away from you too. Perhaps you felt the devastation of alcohol or drugs in your family. Relationships have been severed because of those thieves, drugs and alcohol. Perhaps you're trying to get past the pain that was brought on by a pornography addiction. It'll bring death. But God brings life. And when we turn to him, he can help us overcome. He can forgive us. Maybe you're just in that place where your finances are are just devastated. You have no hope within yourself that you can see in these next weeks or even months unless the Lord undertakes. But he cares about where you are. Perhaps it's a suffocating loneliness that only you know and you don't vocalize to others. Why doesn't someone love me too? Maybe it's even depression where a number of those things have hit at once and you're overwhelmed and you just feel like giving up completely. Listen to me. Jesus brings life. He brings life. There have been people who've gone through things just like you're going through, however deep that hole may be. And Jesus has breathed his blessing, his life, his peace into their hearts. And he wants to do it for you today as well. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. I think sometimes our biggest problem might be that we want to try to figure it out on our own. Stop. Cast your cares on him. Give them to him. James 5.14 says this, is any one of you sick, he should call upon the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. 